So we're talking about kingship. We're in this book of Esther where there's uh, this really prolific historical king. This is filled, chock full of drama. One kid in our church family asked his mother a week or two ago, Mom, how come I can read the book of Esther in an hour, but it takes Pastor Zach six months? So, what a fair question, huh? Why were Esther and Mordecai great missionaries? I'd like us to consider uh, that very question at the conclusion of chapter 8 before we move forward. We talk quite a bit about missions around here. We just sang a song in which we said, you know, the prayer is that our, our trust will not be confounded to borders. Um, and we're literally um, representing that by leaving the borders of the United States in a little over a week to go to the amazing country of El Salvador to do missions, a, a country that's riddled, riddled with gang activity and corruption. Um, it's been listed. Uh, my, my purpose isn't to frighten anyone who's attending this morning, but has regularly, annually been listed on top lists of countries in terms of violence. Some of the most notorious gangs in the world are found in El Salvador, um, of course, in the big cities, and we don't spend uh, hardly any time there when, when we go or in the hillsides. And, and it's kind of crazy that these gangs have such a respect for the work of God in that country. They pray and hope that their kids don't follow in their own footsteps. They feel trapped in what they do, but they don't wish it upon the next generation. Um, and so there's a real window of opportunity, and Christianity has grown in Central America leaps and bounds faster than it has in other parts of the world. It's truly remarkable. Every time we go, we see... We see dozens of people commit their lives to Christ. Um, so we're sending 45 people, roughly, uh, to that country. Why, why is that? Why, why would we do something crazy like that? We funded missionaries in 2018 in the middle of a building campaign um, at a price tag of about $27,000. I mean, couldn't that money just have gone toward our new building? We could have put a nice porch on the thing with that money or, you know, did some, maybe some turf instead of some grass. You know, of, co of course we, we could have. But we'd have been in the process completely ignoring the last words that Jesus spoke before he ascended into heaven, which were, go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you, he promised us, until the end of the age. Simply, we, we cannot, and I hope if I am ever not the pastor of the Mill Church, that you all, this will be so ingrained in you that you will hold any pastor accountable to overseas missions because it matters 
it's biblical. It's, it's, it should be uncompromising. Um, that's not, by the way, any kind of announcement or anything. I'm just saying, I hope, I hope this is communicable. I hope you catch this vision. I hope it's part of your DNA. And so we can't overlook it. We can't deprioritize Jesus' command to send people into pagan cultures to bring justice and love and mercy and truth so that people who don't know Jesus might know Jesus. Amen? I mean, that is the gospel. And so a person who carries the mission of Jesus to other places is called a missionary. A missionary. Sometimes a missionary is sent out intentionally by God's people. At other times, God's people are already in pagan places like we see in the book of Esther, like we find ourselves already in Madison or in Milwaukee or Stratford. I mean, if we think that in staying here in Stratford that we're somehow removed, immune to the divine assignment to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we've fooled ourselves. We're self-deceived. We're not... Here, Acts 17 says that God determines the times and places in which and where we live. Did you know that? Isn't that just a cool theological point to like commit to memory that God determines our steps in his word literally? Like where we are. Um, so in other words, we're not here by happenstance or circumstance or chance. We are here because of a P word that we've been studying and this young man in our church put it to his mother for, for, for six long months, he said. Zach's been teaching on this. It is by God's what? Providence. That is why we are here. That is why if we allow ourselves, we're useful to his kingdom. Esther and Mordecai should have been in Jerusalem. We've told you that they should not have ever been in Susa. They're supposed to be with God's people, near God's presence in the temple, and instead they're living in a pagan land. Even then, though, God sovereignly comes to be with them and uses them for his purpose and his glory. What's the point? Here's the point. Some of you are in places that perhaps you shouldn't be physically. Maybe you should not be relationally. God can meet you there and use you if you repent of your sins, trust in him for salvation, and are willing to grow as a missionary. He will. That is, if you pray, if you serve so that other people might come to know God and belong to the people of God, that's what he desires. He calls it the church. And we're all part of it. Esther and Mordecai are God's people in a, plague, in, a, in, a, in a place, in a pagan land called Persia. They concealed their identity for years. Now they're doing so, uh, not doing so. They're publicly professing uh, that they are people of God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, by the way, not as pastors they're politicians both of them 
interestingly enough. Um, so you may do this as a business leader, as a teacher, as a farmer, as a massage therapist, as a medical professional. Um, missions is men and women of God working together sometimes, but rarely alone as the people of God for the glory of God, whether it's in San Salvador or Stratford. Amen? Amen. And so just in case you're wondering, these two, Mordecai and Esther, they don't look godly from beginning to end, do they? We've seen it. I mean, if you feel sinful, if you feel a bit compromised, and your pastor certainly does this morning, um, because I got into a vicious argument with one of my closest friends this week. It was just tragic. I was sharing with Sandy before the service um, about it a little bit. And, I mean, have you ever just been not impressed with yourself? I mean, I stand before you a sinner. I just blew up. And it's not one of our staff members, by the way. It's not anybody associated with the mill, thank goodness. But it was a close friend of mine. And if you would say, you know, that that's me, I, I screw up. Um, you know, you're just like Mordecai and Esther. They... By the grace of God, however, in a progressive way, became very gifted, very mature, very utilized, and so can you and I. So can you and I. And I have uh, used her example perhaps too much, but some of you are new. For several, uh, several years ago, uh, a young girl sat in the second or third row on a Monday night and visited for the first time and gave her life to Christ came in an absolute sinner, was involved in all kinds of things that normal teenagers are, and 20-somethings, however, she is right there around the 20 mark or so, maybe even 19, 18. She gave her heart to Jesus, and now she's a missionary in Louisiana, and next year it will be Madison for a year or two, and after that it could very well be Stevens Point. I mean, that is the grace of God. That is how God uses his people if we avail ourselves uh, to him. So let's read the remainder of chapter 8. There's a key verse, a key phrase even that I want to really focus on this morning. It's going to be a short sermon. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king. We're about to see that Mordecai has developed a little fashion sense in his new role. Okay, He's got uh, this new job. He goes shopping, and, and we read it here, in royal robes of blue and white. Okay, so he's like upgrading the rims on his chariot, right? He's just making all these subtle changes. And, and with a great gold crown and a robe of fine linen and purple, that's the color of royalty. And the city of Susa shouted and re- rejoiced. Here Mordecai is now a rock star. He's, he's like a war hero in the city. Everybody wants to rub shoulders with him. Esther and Mordecai now are, at this point, are, we, we presume, have to be the most famous Jews in all of the world at this time. 
and they're on, just think, it's like the cover of Time magazine. It's like appearing on Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel. They're no longer nobodies. They're somebodies. They're no longer poor. They're lavishly rich. Everything has changed for them. And the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. This is kind of us thinking about this like the Grinch when he returns all the Christmas gifts at the end of the movie. And all the Who's are gathered around the huge lit up Christmas tree. And they're singing together in beautiful melody and harmony. And, 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 and this is like a holiday for God's people. And the kazoos are coming out. And, and the didgeridoos are coming out. And the bugles and the cowbells and, and everybody's playing and rejoicing and celebrating. And, and somebody makes a hot dish and brings it forward. And it's time to party like it's 1999, right? And everybody's just excited. In every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was what? Gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. Mind you, the day has yet to come where the impending slaughter is supposed to happen. They're just excited that the edict went out that gave them permission to what? To defend themselves. Where's, oh, let me read one more verse to you. Nope, we just read that verse. So, so let me ask you this. Where's all the missions were going to come into play in this chapter? We're on the last verse already. Well, here it comes. Give careful attention to the next and last verse of the chapter. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. See, we can't read that verse too quickly. We can't pass over it. We have to give it some attention. It sounds minor. It's actually quite major. How many people converted to believe in the God of Esther and Mordecai? Many people. How many people does God want to save? Many people. How many churches does God want to plant? Many churches. How many thriving life groups does God desire in which community is taking place and friendship? Many of them. How many to, to El Salvador would God like to send? Many people. How many elders and deacons does God want serving him in the local church? Many. Again, only two things will we see carried or taken from this life to heaven? God, he's with us here, he'll be with us in heaven, and his people. Many, many people. It's God's heart that people would identify themselves with, themselves with his kingdom. It's God's heart that people would be saved from their sins. And sure, some of these people may have just culturally identified, we read it, for less than spiritual reasons, namely fear. But I would say, I would hope you would agree that many Christians identify for some less than spiritual reasons. 
they're saying, Esther and, and, and Mordecai, please tell us about this God that treats you in ways that our king doesn't. He, he used you. You loved us. Tell us about this, this God. So our question this morning, really our only question that I want to talk about practically, is, is who Esther and Mordecai were great missionaries. Many people became saved. Who are you telling about God? We ask that question often, I feel like, but I just don't feel like we can ask it enough. Who are you telling about God? What's your mission field? Well, it's your, it's your home. It's your job. It's your circle of friends. It's your business. It's your, your workplace. It's your neighborhood. And you say, but I'm not a layoff, Burris. You know, I'm not, I'm not a pastor like, like you. Listen, Esther and Mordecai were or were not pastors. They were not. But they were effective missionaries because they lived in a pagan culture. And so do we. So do we. Uh, God has called us to be, and, and at the same time, faithful to his word and in the context of pagan people. Faithful to his word and among pagan people. If we're faithful to his word, but we're not in the context of pagan people, we're not missionaries, are we? If we're in the context of pagan people, but aren't faithful to his word, we're sinners in a different way. In the first case, we're self-righteous. In the second case, we're just like the classic rebels, right? So we have to be both. God wants us to be in the scriptures and absolutely engaged and involved in in culture. So let me challenge the status quo uh, just a little bit. Missionaries ought to be concerned about two things, not one thing. I'm going to press a few buttons maybe with this this morning. Missionaries ought to be concerned with people meeting the God of the Bible. Missionaries also ought to be concerned with changing the culture that they're in. Changing the culture that they're in. Um, It's an and, in other words, not an or. In other words, if everybody becomes a Christian, and if women are still oppressed and mistreated, that's not good enough. If everybody becomes a Christian and systemic racism still exists, that's not good enough. If everybody becomes a Christian and life isn't sacred in utero, that's not good enough. If everybody becomes a Christian but life isn't sacred after birth, Effectively, adoption and foster care, that's not good enough. People of God honor women. Jesus did. People of God 
love people who look different than us and engage them. Jesus did that, particularly when he was traveling through Samaria. The Jews hated the Samaritans. People of God um, speak up for those that don't have a voice. Jesus did so. People of God love and serve the vulnerable among us. Jesus loved the little children. Part of the reason that, that I, the older I get, grow more and more frustrated by party politics is that in heavy, heavy identity with party politics, we start to become offended by phrases that Jesus said and lived by unknowingly. I'm sitting here debating on whether or not I need to hash this out. And I don't think I will, at least not today. But I, I hope you understand, based on the last several sentences, kind of where I'm going with that idea. Are we to take care of the poor, for example? I'll hash it out just one more example. Well, of course we're to take care of the poor. I mean, so much of the Bible is about taking care of the poor. You can't be a faithful Christian and not advocate for the poor. It's impossible. And there are examples on both sides of the aisle. Part of missions work is that the people of God change the culture around them to reflect the heart of not their party, but their father. In the West, we tend to think that an individual can absolutely change the world. And so we, we put out, we, we put out uh, ideas like MacGyver, right? And Rambo. And Spider-Man. The truth is that Mordecai and Esther, they could not change the culture until they got to a higher level. Some of you may, may argue this, but God's people, we need to fight to get upstream. We absolutely do. We, if we want to change laws, we need to, to move toward positions of influence in this country. You, you cannot like a particular kind of music on the radio when we hear it, as um, often happens when I scroll through stations, but I can't really affect much change in the music industry from my civic. I could if I owned a record company, though. I can have lasting influence. Culture is made upstream, not downstream. I'm not saying um, you can't be a missionary where you are. I'm saying that getting upstream allows God's people to affect changes in ways that we couldn't otherwise do. Um, picture a river in a third world country where as you move downstream, you see all kinds of houses there on the river banks, um, you know, open air kind of homes, not a lot of structure, not a lot of stability, disheveled, 
Um, and But people are living there. People are happy there. But there's a lot of waste. There's a lot of uh, human waste, garbage going into the river. If you're charged with cleaning up that river, the, the, the farther you go downstream, the, the more and more foul it smells, the more and more clutter and waste you see. Where do you start cleaning up the river? You guys start upstream, right? It would, it would be inefficient to start cleaning the river downstream because everything farther upstream is going to continue to pollute what you cleaned up downstream. So this is what I'm saying, I guess, in short. For those of you who are currently upstream, have you considered the missionary advantage of your position like that of Esther and Mordecai? You have amazing potential to reach people with the love and goodness of God strictly by your position of influence. Amazing potential that other people simply don't have. And have you considered that it might actually be by God's providence that you are where you are? Not for your sake. That's what Haman thought. He was in it for himself. The resources, the power, the prestige, but for the kingdom. And let me raise um, one more uh, idea to the kids who are here and the parents. I want to encourage the students who are, are here to fight in your life for a level of influence and position. This could mean college. We're learning lately it certainly doesn't have to include college, and you may make a lot more money in what? Trade school, becoming a tradesman. The trend has completely flipped on its head. What did decades of saying you got to go to college do to us? They've, they've got us in a position where a roof is going to cost us $50,000 in a few years because there's no qualified laborers to do roofing. It doesn't matter which route you go, but let me encourage you to do it with excellence and to achieve high standards, not so that, so that you'll have a great and, 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 and grand life, but so that you can leverage your influence and your resources for kingdom purposes. Amen? Amen. This is what Esther and Mordecai did. The scriptures say, to whom much is given, much is what? Required or expected. How will you leverage your influence in your life? How will you leverage your income? Will it really be all for you? Remember Haman. Remember Haman. We're going to enter into a time of prayer uh, this morning. Uh, we have we have people leaving uh, for El Salvador in less uh, than than two weeks. I'd like to pray for them this morning corporately, um, and then I'd like to just make this an altar this morning where we can approach God's throne, where God's people can come alongside of you if you're in need and pray for you, um, where you can receive healing um, and and kindness and grace from God and from others. So, Lord, we just, um, 
We pray, Father, for protection, for safety. We pray for for a logistically smooth trip for this team of faithful people going to do your work abroad. We pray, Lord, for influence and for position. We pray, Lord, that you would maximize opportunities to share your story, that of a crucified Savior, selfless Savior who left a perfect home in heaven to come to earth and identify with suffering sinful people in order to represent them before the Father. Lord, let that message of a crucified Christ resonate in ears, Lord, in that country I just pray that you would um, keep every bus running, keep every body hydrated, keep every stomach free of bacteria, keep joy in every heart. Lord, let the trip be free of critical and complaining spirits in Jesus' name. Let camaraderie abound in Jesus' name. Let friendship abound. Let sacrifice and faithfulness abound in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that bonds are formed on this trip that will last a lifetime. Crossing church lines, crossing denominational lines, maybe even crossing uh, lines of eternity, the, the difference between those that, that don't know you and do know you. Lord, I pray that anybody who's not a Christian that goes on this trip will at a minimum walk away with just such a fondness for true believers. And Lord, we pray for their salvation, for their repentance, for a changed heart. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the call of God on the hearts of, of nearly 50 people who paid $1,300 plus to go and do your work. Lord, we're grateful for them. Smile upon them, Lord. Quicken their feet. In Jesus' name.